Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. On today's podcast, we have a fascinating story for you about the flying filly Fifinella, who won the Derby in 1916, a painting based on a cigarette card and a log cabin with beautiful views in Herefordshire. Coming up soon on The Paddock and the Pavilion, you'll be hearing three stories about Royal Ascot, along with Ash's memories from Rick McCosker, Dennis Amis and Richard Ellison. But for this episode, I began talking to Sarah Childs, the great-granddaughter of Fifanella's jockey, Joe Childs. Hello, Sarah and Zach. Welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion. Hello. Stephen, very nice of you to invite us. Thank you. This must be your first ever podcast. Uh, it certainly is, it yes. Is, yeah. <laughs> Definitely so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like I like stories. And on this podcast, with the Derby only a few days away, yours fitted the bill, a family connection, a painting of a previous famous winner, and a log cabin. All will be revealed. <laughs> <laughs> Let's set the scene. You... Sarah, you are the great-granddaughter of Joe Childs, royal jockey and a three-time winner of the Derby. That's correct, what did, yeah. what did you know about Joe Childs when you were growing up? Well, I'm not a great deal, but my one of my main memories is going to stay with my grandparents and uh, seeing memorabilia around the house. And uh, they, had, they actually had a hoof belonging to the racehorse Scuttle um, who was one of King George V's horses. And Grandpa Joe had ridden that horse to win the 1,000 guineas. So it was a very important race for, for Grandpa Joe. And I think it was the only classic that King George V uh, won as an owner. Um, and so he was presented with the hoof of, of Scuttle, see when Scuttle died and that's my big memory really and what kind of sparked my interest in oh what did grandpa joe do then um so that was one of the things that i remember 
most of all. And then lots of other, you know, trophies around the house and paintings on the wall uh, as well. So my grandfather, um, John, used to talk to me about Grandpa Joe and tell me a little bit of history and took us when we were a little bit younger to have a look at their their old house, their old stables and old school. Um, so lots of stories. But my grandfather, John, absolutely hated horses and he would say that Grandpa Joe used to make him ride to school on a pony, but uh, he hated it. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, those are those are my memories, really. But obviously, I didn't ever get to meet Grandpa Joe, sadly, because he died in 1958, so long before I was around. But your your mum must have met him. Uh, not not mum, my dad. So my dad's side, and um, yeah, dad did. Um, sadly, my dad's not around anymore, so I don't didn't get to you know chat to him about it uh, very much. But he was quite young when when Grandpa Joe died as well. So he was only about nine years old. So he and his his brother don't have many memories, sadly, that they can they can think of um, of, of Grandpa Joe. But yeah, we've we've lost uh, a few family members, sadly, um, who would remember. But I I have spoken to uh, a cousin, Jeff, and he he was a teenager when Grandpa Joe was around. So he he has more memories of traveling around to him and going to stay in France with him. Um, and spending time time with him. Why why was he born in Chanty in France? Uh, well, I think they it was all to do with racing, and because his father was a jockey as well, and so I think he, I'm not entirely sure why he was born there, but I believe it was re- related to the fact that they were racing over there. And I know that Grandpa Joe spent a lot of time in France and Germany to do with weight uh, because he was quite a tall jockey and I think the weight restrictions were less, less severe, uh, severe in France and Germany. So he would he spent more time over there initially. And Zach, you've got to hear about this through through Sarah. Well, yeah, when I when I met Sarah um, just over seven years ago, I, I didn't know anything about this, but um, there's a, a picture on the wall. Actually, I'll just show it to you here. I don't know if you can see the picture there. That is uh, Joe standing next to the king, uh, basically. Um, and I just asked her about that picture, and then she told me some of the history that, um, you know, from everything she knew and the, the Derby winners, Fifanella, Gainsborough, Coronac. And um, yeah, and uh, we've just been exploring it a bit as we've been building our holiday cabins, really. Um, yeah, that's it. Right. We also have. Other guests on this podcast, we've got the equine artist Emily Johnson, uh, the resident artist at Cheltenham Racecourse, and Tim Cox from the Cox Library. And I spoke to Tim earlier to fill in some of the gaps. You, you've done quite well there, Sarah, about uh, uh, Joe, about Joe's racing career. Joe Charles was one of the important great jockeys of the 20th century. Uh, I've gone back to the book that Tony Morris and John Randall produced, A Century of Champions, and they rate him or rank him as the 11th most important uh, successful jockey of the 20th century. So I think that puts him up there with Lester Piggott, Scobie Breezley, Gordon Richards, uh, Steve Donahue, so jockeys that are, are, are well known still. He goes back 
to being born in Chantilly. Um, and his early career was very much on the continent, um, in France, Berlin, Italy, then on to Germany, um, partly because he had weight problems. Uh, and then he comes to England at the start of the First World War, um, or comes to England uh, to continue his career uh, in the First World War. Um, and then that gets off to a good start uh, by riding Fifinella in uh, the Derby and the Oaks in 1916. It must have been a very prestigious role to be the jockey for the king. Uh, I, yes, it was. And it was uh, a role that he took seriously. His reputation was as uh, somewhat quarrelsome uh short-tempered man and often didn't get on well uh with trainers and owners particularly in the early part of his career uh but he fell into the role of the king's jockey um and uh held the job for 10 years until he retired from about 1925 to 1935 so 10 years as the royal jockey and he rode a classic winner for king george v uh, yes, that was Scuttle in the uh, Thousand Guineas, wasn't it? So, yes, he did win the, the Classic. But I, I think he was uh, just a, an established jockey riding well for the King. And when he was riding Scuttle to win the Thousand Guineas for King George V, who was the trainer and where was the trainer based? Uh, well, it was William Jarvis, uh, who was based at Newmarket. Uh, and he always rode on very cordial terms uh, with Jarvis, um, which was a contrast to relationships with some of the trainers, both in France and England, which were, I think, could be described as tense. Tim, I've got to ask you, because Sarah asked me to ask you this question. Have you got Joe Child's book? I'll I do back. have uh, uh, his autobiography, My Racing Reminiscences. Um, uh, it's one of the early uh, biographies of jockeys. He, it's quite interesting just having set out to collect all the biographies uh, of horses, jockeys, trainers, and so on, how few there were before uh, Charles published his, I think it was in 1952. Um, so he was an early jockey uh, biography. Sarah, we need to explain to listeners about the log cabin, the Fifinella retreat, and its connection to the Derby. Can you fill us in? <laughs> well, we wanted to build some cabins, and we were we really wanted to try and connect them to horses somehow. Because I've always been involved in horses. I learnt to ride when I was five years old um, at Newbury Riding School, and. Uh, did some show jumping and uh, and then got into dressage eventually when I was a little bit older. And we also, we had a riding school here in, in Herefordshire in the livery yard. So we've been quite heavily involved in horses and are not so much now. It's more of a hobby for me now, but we wanted to, to try and keep the connection and and steam the, the cabin somehow. And we just thought it would be really nice to connect to, to Grandpa Joe and the racing because there's, you know, I'm quite proud of what Grandpa Joe achieved, and it's really nice to try and showcase some of that. 
So that was our idea. We thought about, we may have three cabins in total. So we thought it might be nice to go for Derby winners as there were three of those. So hence why we, we started with, with FIFA Nella. Yeah. That was the first, that was the first one. So that was the obvious choice to start with. And um, yeah, that's when we came up with that one. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Fifanella. We, 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 no one seems to know whether it's Fifanella, Fifanella. I'm sure someone will <laughs> put, put us right. But, but hopefully, uh, I also asked Tim all about the flying filly who won the Derby and the Oaks in 1916. Tim, Fifanella has a special place in the history of the Derby. Uh, yes, she does. She's one of six fillies that have won the Derby. Uh, but you have to go back to 1916 for her win. Um, it's uh, so it's over a hundred years since that happened. Uh, but we've only had 16 runners uh, since 1900 that were fillies in the Derby. So it's a a rare occurrence that a trainer and an owner think they've got a horse that is good enough uh, to run in the Derby and to have a chance. Uh, I did go back over the whole history of the Derby. There have only been 63 fillies running in the Derby. Six of them have won. So you've got a 10% uh, winning record now, even now, uh, of fillies winning the Derby if they're they're in their running. Since Fifinella won the Derby as a filly in 1916, which filly has been closer since? Um, well, as I said, there were very few fillies that have uh, run in the Derby. Uh, the closest was uh, Nobillery in 1975, uh, where she finished second. Um, so that is probably the most significant run of a filly in the Derby since 1916. Talking about the the painting, which uh, is now in the in the log cabin, why did you come to choose Emily Johnson? Um, well, that's down to me, really. I had a, a colleague at a school where I was teaching and Emily was a good friend of hers and she happened to mention that she was an equine artist. And um, so I said, uh, well, could we have her contact details? And we got in touch with Emily and explained our situation. And um, she was delighted to take on a commission. Um, it was an interesting one for her because she was used to having horses where she'd go and visit the live horse, take some photos and paint the horse with the photos she'd taken. And we were saying, well, we haven't got the horse. We've only got cigarette cards and, and black and white photographs. And and also we'd like the jockey on there. And um, that was a challenge to her as well, because she, she wasn't really painting at that time with people on the horses. So I think it was a, you know, a, a new area for her to look at as well. I think it was a challenge that she enjoyed. And um, well, we're delighted with what she's produced. Well, let's hear what Emily had to say about the, the challenge of, of painting a horse from a cigarette card. My initial thoughts were I was probably um, a bit apprehensive because uh, one of kind of uh, the problems that artists have is um, not very good quality reference photos being given to. So often I kind of insist with um, clients that I will go and take the photos and meet the horse myself. So um, yeah, when I was told that this horse had been dead for 80 years or something, I was um, I was a bit concerned. Well, no, more than 100 years, is it? Uh, the filly died in 1931, I think, top of my head. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, not quite then. But um, yeah, so so I was like, oh no. Uh, but I did think it sounded really interesting. I um, I find uh, kind of yeah research products quite interesting. So so yeah, I was kind of intrigued um, and also a bit apprehensive. I thought I can't promise anything, but we'll see how we'll see what happens. So how big was the image that you received? Oh, I don't know. Well, it was a it was a scan of a cigarette card. So what are they? Probably like two inches by less than an inch. Probably they're kind of long and thin and small. And um, so it was a scan of that. So it just been blown up. Um, and yeah. So and and when you see them blown up, they're all like little made up of dots. You can see all the dots of how it was printed. So yes. So the the quality wasn't wasn't there um, to kind of do a painting from. So I thought right. Well, maybe I can you know, find out what the filly like look like and all the markings and maybe I can do a painting from another horse, you know, like go to one of them, my local yards or one of my connections and I can use another horse, maybe do it that way. Um, so that was kind of one of my ideas, but I thought I'd do a bit of research and see what I could find. But how did you go about painting something so small? Well, so I, so I kind of, yeah, went on research and I started looking for photographs um, so I kind of I could see the the cigarette card and I could see the you know the jockey silks and the colours and the colour of the horse and the, the markings and that was all I kind of had. Um but yeah, so I went down the route of looking for photographs. Yeah, and luckily I came across I'd kind of been looking and they were all very grainy and black and white, and I was kind of like, oh no, these aren't these aren't gonna be good enough. But luckily, just kind of late one night, I managed to come across a good quality. Um, scan of the photo that they must have used when they created the cigarette card because it was exactly the same pose you the legs were in the same position and everything so it was the the photograph that they'd used and I and I was just oh bingo like I can use that I I, I could use the detail and the shape of the horse I could get kind of her proportions from it and then um and then just for the colors I did have to kind of go from the cigarette card and then from other chestnut mares really so yeah you, you can't be 100% that I got like the exact red right but um you know but no one's gonna know <laughs> uh, other than other than Joe Charles but obviously he's he's no longer here so yeah so um so yeah no it was a really interesting project and it turned out I can't believe how how well the, the painting turned out it was yeah really pleased with it and pleased for Zach and Sarah. You also had to get the silks of the jockey, Joe Childs. Yes, yeah. So it was a uh, orange and light blue, I think, wasn't it? Or yellow and light blue. And um, so, yeah, that was quite important. I did have to kind of cross-reference a little bit to just kind of check I got that right. Um, but, yeah, of course, all of those photos were black and white as well. So I couldn't use photographs. I had to kind of go by a few other things um, just to check I got them right. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Quite important, that. How long did it take to do? Um, so my oil paintings, you do them in stages. And so I, I did it over, over maybe four, four months or something like that. Um, but I'm not sure how many hours, probably most of my paintings are kind of over 50 hours, a hundred hours, something like that. How big size wise is the painting? I think it's 70 centimeters by 50 centimeters. So yeah, so yeah, not quite a meter. Probably like maybe similar to a TV, <laughs> most people's flat screen TVs. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so it's a nice size. I like I like painting bigger rather than smaller. Um, it gives you you know chance to work, and you can really see the brush 
strokes and yeah emily johnson's painting of fifinella is based on a cigarette card they were very popular at that time uh i think it's one of the interesting things about the popularity of racing if you study cigarette cards um there were about uh 5000 sets of cigarette cards produced between 1900 or about 1900 and about 1955 and many of them were using sports stars sports celebrities jockeys uh race horses racing scenes uh and so on as as themes for uh the collectors to collect um cigarette cards go back to the late 19th century in america um it, they originally started as being printed on pack and then eventually moved to being a loose insert in the pack and they were part of the marketing operation for cigarette brands in the early part of the 20th century uh, you encouraged people to smoke to collect um, the cards in the sets and it was quite a, a war to uh, um, select the um, the subjects that you're going to put into your cigarette card uh, sets and if you uh, come to uh, the library Stephen you'll see uh, uh, thousands of cards from the various racing sets worldwide uh, they come from America Australia um, Venezuela, uh, France, Germany, uh, and of course, uh, England and Ireland. Well, we've got it on audio now, Tim, in a podcast, so I must come to the library. <laughs> yes, you, you've been avoiding it for so long. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What did you think of the end result of the painting? It was lovely, actually. It was so so nice to to have the painting of of Grandpa Joe um, on Fifinella um, in the cabin, and it's a real statement piece in the cabin because it's a it's a Scandinavian style design inside, so it's quite minimalistic. So it's a it's the real the only thing really that you've got on the wall in the cabin. So it's it really stands out, and it's it's great. Yeah, we're really pleased with it. Yeah, it's delighted. And, and it's always creates a conversation with our guests, which is nice, and then talk about the history. And some people are real racing fans and, you know, and come here to to really enjoy that because they've seen the name and they realise there's a connection there. So, so that's really nice as well. And Zach, you helped build the cabin, I understand. Um, yes, got a good friend called Adam Thomas, who's really, let's just say, he's a master craftsman and, and I'm his lackey, really. So I do what he tells me to do. But um, yeah, we... We both built it together and um, in the process of building the second one now. And, um, yeah, we've been really, really pleased and had great feedback from our guests and everyone who's come to stay. Yeah, tell us a bit more about the the inside of the cabin. And, the, and the, apparently from what um, Emily said, there's some fantastic views. Yes, it's uh, beautiful. There's a massive frontage with very large windows that looks out to the Black Mountains, the Brecon Beacons, and if people know the local area, Garway Hill. And uh, it just captures that view through through there. 
And um, just waking up in the morning, being able to open the blinds, lying in bed, looking at that view is, is quite stunning and definitely very relaxing. It's a relaxing really, space. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a really nice space to come and chill. And uh, we'd invite anyone to come along, of course. And it's for two people. Um, two and two, bring two children as well. Um, there's a there's a den area, and um, the children can stay in that. Otherwise, um, there's just a, a a nice bed, comfortable bed for two people. Yeah, I think Emily has actually seen it, but she's not yeah. stayed there. No, we we hope she will in the future when she gets a chance. She just seems too busy at the moment. But um, yes, we invited her to the opening when it was completed, and so she could see the picture in its place. And um, yeah, I think she was delighted. Well, I, I asked her earlier in the week what she thought of the Fifinella retreat. And yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful lodge and it's really interesting, the kind of design of it. Um, they've got kind of a little snug room and it's all kind of Scandinavian. It's really cool the way that they've um, designed it, all the kind of woods. It's all very wood inside and then just beautiful views, a big giant glass window where you can see out across the fields. Yeah, so it's it's cosy um but also yeah amazing views and they've got a kind of a, a log fired hot tub outside they've got yeah it's it's really cool i was like oh i definitely want to stay here oh that's my next question have you are you planning to go and stay there one day <laughs> yeah i think i should one day yeah no I, it would be a nice retreat so yeah i i definitely should you've also got a hot tub there um, yes, definitely. That's very popular. I, I, we always offer it to guests and I, I haven't had many people refusing to take up the offer. Yeah, it's really nice wood fired hot tub sitting outside under an oak tree. And um, yeah, it's a nice, nice place to be in the evening as the sun's setting. And how have bookings been going? Really good, actually. We um, When we first opened a couple of years ago, it was just after COVID lockdowns and um, there were travel restrictions abroad. And I think we had 95% occupancy, which was absolutely amazing. Um, obviously, it's dropped away a little bit then as um, foreign travels opened up, but we're still happy it's about 60, 70%. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're really delighted with it. It's been perfect. And you've got plans for more. You, have you started the second one? Yeah, we're well through the second one, actually. We're just having the windows fitted now um, today. That'll complete. Um, we'll be putting the roof on and have it nice and watertight. And we hope to get it completely furnished and finished ready for the end of September. And that's going to be called Gainsborough after Joe's second derby win in 1918. That's correct, yes. And uh, we've also commissioned a painting of Gainsborough with Emily, so we're looking forward to seeing that um, as well. Yes. Um, so just at the very beginning of the the process, um, and that will be Gainsborough. So that's another famous racehorse. And, um, and that will be the name of their second. They're going to build a second lodge. So that's very exciting. Um, I'm not sure if that, I think it's going to be different. I don't think it's going to be like a carbon copy. I think it's going to be quite unique. Um, so yeah, that'll be Gainsborough. So yeah, that's exciting. And Sarah, you were, you were mentioning about Gainsborough stud, which you, you, uh, I think you'd been to. Well, I haven't actually visited the stud itself, but, um, very strangely, we used to live, um, in a village called Walton Hill in Newbury, and uh, that's when I was younger, growing up. And at the top of the hill, literally a couple of hundred metres away, there was a stud called the Harwood Stud. We didn't know anything about it at that stage. But since moving away from there, we realised it changed the name to Gainsborough Stud. And it is actually where Gainsborough stood and is now buried. So 
we were very close to that that history without realizing it well he's a very famous horse because gainsborough was the sire of hyperion who uh won the derby in 1933 and and uh, hyperion's statue is outside the jockey club rooms in newmarket i see yeah that's gonna be worth a visit then soon (laughs) and sarah there's a connection with disney with fifanella yeah, so basically, um, Roald Dahl's first children's book is a book called The Gremlins. And the female character in the book, he chose to name Fifinella's after the horse, the flying filly, Fifinella. And Walt Disney got a uh, hold of this uh, story. He was really interested in it and uh, he was interested in making a film. Um, I don't think the film ever came off in the end, but uh, Disney did do the illustrations for the book in the end. Yeah. And also there's another connection there with the Second World War. The um, United States Air Force female pilots were nicknamed the Flying Phillies and uh, Walt Disney designed their logo for them, for their uniforms. Um, So, you know, that was another connection to the Thief Nella story as well. Some very interesting connections there. Do we know why Dal called his character Fifinella. Well, I believe that she won the Derby in the year that he was born. And because she was known as the Flying Philly, and of course he was in the Air Force at the time, um, I think that's uh, maybe why he, he chose the name. Yeah, when, I mean, when he um, authored his first book, he signed it as a Flight Lieutenant Roald Dahl. So he was still just come out of the Air Force. And that's the first thing, that's pretty much the first thing he wrote. Sarah, as the, as the great-granddaughter of Joe Childs, have, yeah. have you been to the Derby? I've never been to the Derby. I, I haven't. I'd love to go sometime, but the closest I've been to the Derby was to a, a conference at the race course, but I haven't actually made it to the Derby itself. <laughs> <laughs> it's on, it's on, definitely on the to-do list very shortly. <laughs> now, when you finish the third cabin, there's going to be three, isn't there? But there might be. I mean, we've got planning permission for two. And um, if we thought in the future we we had back in mind, we might consider a third. And and obviously that would be cor- called Coronac after the, the third Derby winner. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's in 1926, which that race was at Epsom. And you can catch, as we we spoke earlier, you can catch Movie Tone film without without sound of Joe's win in 1926. Yeah, yes, absolutely. That's, right. that's amazing yeah. to watch the sort of pathé film and uh, in the black and white. And uh, imagine the atmosphere that's going on there as, as you see the race. It's, it's fantastic. Looks yeah. like they were getting the weather we've been having recently on that day as well, though. Yes, it did look a very wet day. <laughs> I think Grandpa Joe did comment that the, the horse ran away with him on that day as well. So that might have helped with the win. He <laughs> <laughs> found that in his book. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for, for joining me on the Paddock and the Pavilion to talk about uh, Joe Childs, um, his Derby wins, uh, the painting of Fifinella, and um, and also um, the Log Cabin, um, which you can book easily on the on the internet. Um, yes, if you put into um, any search engine Fifanella Retreat, it should come out at the top and it'll take you through to a website uh, where you'll be able to, to book. Um, and um, hopefully we'll be launching our own website soon and uh, that'll also be another opportunity. But uh, yeah, we invite anyone to come along and enjoy the history. 
Well, thank you both very much, uh, Sarah and Zach, for joining me on the Paddock and the Pavilion. And also special thanks to Emily Johnson and Tim Cox. Thank you. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you for listening to the Paddock and the Pavilion. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Pad and Pad. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.